Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hi, this is Chris Kirk at Wild Blue Aircraft Sales, and thank you so much for taking the time to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, This week, we are interviewing Roger Roberts, and Roger uh, brings a lot to the table when it comes to experience, both uh, inside and outside aviation. He just received the Wright Brothers Award, which means he has been actively flying for over 50 years uh, accident-free. Now, Roger is a an F-33 uh, Bonanza owner. Uh, actually, we helped him acquire that airplane. It's probably been four or five years ago. And I came uh, to, to know Roger when he and uh, his aircraft partner in a uh, Columbia 400 uh, asked us to sell that airplane a number of years ago. Uh, Roger is a cardiologist in Wichita and uh, just has a lot of, of uh, good sound advice for the would-be aircraft owner, whether it's for a partnership, which he's been involved in, or uh, just outright ownership, which he uh, understandably enjoys more than a partnership. So in any case, uh, here's my interview with Roger. Hope you enjoy. Today, I'm excited to have Roger Roberts. Roger, uh, you're a cardiologist, correct? Correct, yes. I, I should say Dr. Roger Roberts. He's in Wichita, Kansas. And Roger is uh, hes not only a cardiologist, but he's a very experienced pilot and aircraft owner. So I uh, thought it would be a great time for you to kind of share your experiences, uh, not only in your business and professional life, Roger, but also uh, aircraft ownership and you know some of the lessons that you've learned there. So thank you. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. So, uh, so let's just touch on on that background. So, you're a cardiologist. How'd you get into that? Well, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my father was a, uh, a family physician down in uh, near Joplin, Missouri, in hometown of Seneca, Missouri, and he was the Marcus Welby. If you remember that TV show, he was the uh, the town doctor, and. Uh, um, I guess I decided to follow his footsteps. I went to the University of Missouri for undergrad and, and uh, was really interested in becoming an astronaut, actually. Uh, at least that was my pipe dream. But uh, as soon as I started the uh, biology courses, I just kind of felt like I would be a little bit jealous of people who knew how my body worked and I didn't. So uh, I decided I wanted to try for medical school and become a physician, which I did. And that's how I got started in that. Um, aviation was always really my primary passion, but um, it felt like as a vocation, uh, medicine was the way to go. So uh, I was happy to be able to combine both in my career and it, it, it's worked out well. You know, we're probably going to have to cut this short right now because you went to Mizzou. I went to KU. I didn't know that ahead of time. I think this is over. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, my 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 first wife, who uh, who uh, passed away in 2010, was a, an avid, avid uh, KU alum. And so were her parents and everybody in her family. So I... Uh, Sorry for the Missouri side there, uh, guys, but, uh, you know, to keep peace in the, in the family, I became a KU fan, so. Well, there you go. So we're, we're kind of good there. Yeah, I, well, I live in Missouri, as, as it turns out, and uh, even though I went to KU, uh, 
uh, I had a neighbor one time say, well, uh, you know, you're, you're on the wrong side of the state line. I said, yeah, but I'm in the right state of mind. So there you that's, go. <laughs> that's what matters. Well, good. Um, and so are you still practicing? Well, uh, I, I'm really not doing clinical medicine. I, I do uh, uh, spend typically one night a week at our Kansas Heart Hospital, which is a heart-dedicated hospital here in Wichita. It's about a 52-bed um, uh, facility. And uh, I'll, I'll just uh, give them night coverage uh, once a week just to kind of keep in touch with things. But... Um, I'm not doing any clinical medicine. I, I retired from doing interventional cardiology and clinical medicine in 2016. So the last four or five years, I've been out of doing that. But this covering at the hospital, I still get to see the nurses and they say, oh, hi, Dr. Roberts, how are you doing? I said, well, are you? I kind of visit around and, and play yeah. with that. And, and uh, it, 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 it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Now, now, were you in practice for yourself or were you part of a partnership or how? I was in a partnership, um, um, actually in two different partnerships in my career. Um, but uh, I was with uh, Cardiovascular Consultants of Kansas uh, the last um, 18 to 20 years of, of my fully practicing career. And we uh, were a group of about eight uh, cardiologists that covered three hospitals and, and, um, um, all of our expertise was in interventional cardiology. So we're the guys that were sliding down the, the, uh, the fireman's pole and running to the hospital and opening up blocked arteries with patients that had heart attacks and, and then doing uh, scheduled you know, procedures which unblocked arteries, stenting of arteries and things like that. Plus a whole myriad of um, clinical medicine, you know, seeing patients. And a big part of that, uh, Chris, was uh, our outreach clinics. So we covered uh, a lot of different small communities uh, throughout Kansas, southeastern and southwestern Kansas. Each of us had their kind of own sector of places to go. And in my former practice, I'd established clinics and I maintained that for my 36-year career. So... And most of that I was able to use uh, uh, by flying to some of these uh, clinics. Not entirely, but uh, weather permitting, I would, I'd, I'd fly. Yeah. So going down that road a little bit, you've been flying for how long? <clears throat> well, I've been flying since 1969. So okay, well over 50 or 51 years now. And so what, what licenses and ratings do you have? Well, I'm a private pilot. Uh, I have instrument rating. I've never tried my multi or commercial, um, although I still uh, think about you know advancing that just for the just just to do it. But right. um, I didn't require having that, obviously, so I, I didn't pursue that. We've worked with a number of physicians over the years. Um, any of the other doctors that you worked with in your, in your practice, especially any of those guys fly? Well, not in my practice, but uh, let's see, there were one other uh, pilot uh, that was a cardiologist, Roger Evans, flew to a lot of clinics. And um, uh, we had in the first practice I was in, um, we had a, a couple of, uh, of the commercial pilots that would fly uh, typically at Barron. 
um, to clinics. And uh, then we um, added uh, Bonanza and A36, and that's where I got to fly uh, that airplane in partnership with the group and got to fly that for several years and over 600 hours in, in that Bonanza and 770 Papa. Oh, that's. And, uh, you know, before that, I was, you know, renting a Musketeer or a, or a 152 or whatever was available to make those trips just to be able to use, you know, flying to, to the clinics that we would go to. A lot of people, when they get into uh, an airplane ownership situation, you know, they kind of have these these dreams or these aspirations of being able to use the plane for business. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. For, uh, for in, in the first practice, it, it, it did. I mean, I had a quarter uh, percent, 25 percent of the plane ownership and uh, 50% was with the um, major partner in the group, and uh, another 25% was with one of my good friends. Um, and uh, so that was really used for business, used personal use as well. Um, the second ownership that I had was a fabulous ownership with uh, a gentleman here in Wichita, Rick Conklin, and we uh, purchased a uh, Columbia 400 in 2007, I believe. It was uh, used as a demonstrator, had 88 hours on it. And uh, that was a very sweet airplane. Um, just didn't have a lot of uh, useful load and it was high maintenance. And uh, you're quite familiar with that airplane. You, uh, you helped in the sale of that. And that plane was actually ferried, uh, I believe to Paris, France. Um, when we sold that in 2013, possibly. So I put about 400 hours in that airplane. So did my partner. And um, but that was a very unique uh, partnership. I mean, uh, Rick was, was a great guy. And, and um, uh, we worked out schedule on um, who, who would have use of the airplane. And, and uh, just it, it was a great partnership, which I think is not necessarily typical of a partnership in the airplane. Right. But Rick wasn't a, a business partner of yours. No, he was not. Okay. No, he, he was totally separate. Actually, the, uh, the uh, young gentleman that uh, was uh, showing the airplane, uh, I think each of us independently had kind of been interested in that aircraft or of that type of an aircraft. And, um, uh, he put us together. We didn't know each other. And it was just kind of like a first date type of thing. And uh, it, it worked out. And, um, but, uh, you know, thing, as time moves on, that needs and, and uh, change. And so we had to let that airplane go. And uh, so that was 2014. Uh, and in 2017, uh, with your help, I found... Uh, 3389 Mike, uh, but ends uh, at 33A. And uh, that's a really good airplane. Has it been four years already? Yes, it had. Will be. <laughs> it will be four years, believe it or not. And um, uh, but it's kind of fun because the, the Columbia was a sexy plane. I mean, it had ramp appeal and it had the gold wings. And um, it was, 
well-designed aircraft and Osiris had, had done much better with their uh, manufacturing and, and all of that. And Columbia at that time was really undercapitalized and obsessing about it. They looked at our airplane quite a bit before they decided to, to uh, buy that, that company. And, uh, um, but then we had the 2008 downturn and uh, their sales went down. And of course, as predicted, they, they moved their factory from Bend, Oregon to uh, Independence, Kansas. And, and um, uh, it just didn't do well for them. And they pulled the plug on it about a year, year, year and a half ago or so, well, before COVID. Uh, for sure and um but it was a nice airplane it was basically a two passenger airplane you could take three people take four people just couldn't put much fuel in it but it was a side stick and it was very intuitive it was a fully stick where cirrus is kind of a uh, half of a yoke mounted on the side and uh, uh, didn't have the ballistic parachute in it but it was well structured and they had a great organization of teaching and uh uh, the factory was was clean. I mean, the, and the people there were just, they really were proud of their product. But um, when they got bought out, things changed. And, and the downturn made a big difference too. So it's unfortunate. It's a, it's a nice airplane. But yeah. it was fun coming back to a Bonanza. You know, it's kind of like coming back to your hometown, which it literally is. That airplane was made right here. And... Um, uh, the American Bonanza Society. I just simply can't say enough about uh, what what they do. Whit uh, Hickman and and uh, Tom Turner. The, it's a great organization, and it, it's really amazing because you look through the magazines. The new membership every month takes up a full page. That whole page, the whole page. Uh, it, it just I, it blows me away. Of course. They're not making that many new bonanzas, and all these are mostly legacy airplanes. And uh, they've just done really a good job with it on educating. It's kind of fun flying something that's been that was designed back in what '47. Um, yes, it's old technology, but uh, it works, and uh, it's just kind of like a DC-3. I get it; just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a great comment about ABS, uh, and they, they do. Have, I, I think that they are kind of the uh, the example for other owner groups to aspire to. And you know, I, I recommend even to people if you're not even if you're not a Bonanza owner, you don't own a beach product, but you are an airplane owner. Subscribe to ABS and become an ABS member because there's so much stuff in there that is is going to be applicable to whatever airplane you own. But there's a lot of other stuff in there that if you read it, you can kind of develop some questions on your own to go investigate those issues or those items in your own airplane. Right. Uh, right. But you know, any, any group out there that thinks that they are as good as, as ABS and, and especially with those two gentlemen that you mentioned do, um, I, I would, I would beg to differ, but it's really, um, it's such a valuable organization. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's kind of nice because, uh, they moved their office from uh, what was Mid-Continent, Eisenhower, the downtown, the big airport, uh, out east, uh, right across the street from Jabara. And they literally are across the street from the Kansas Heart Hospital, which is where I there you go, where, where I worked and where I still go and, and do that one night a week thing. So um, um, sometimes I'll walk over there in my scrubs and uh, 
and kind of shake hands and say hello. But um, it, it is a great organization. Yeah. Well, that's that's neat. Let me go back to your first airplane. Like you mentioned it, but I don't. What what was your first airplane? Well, uh, first airplane was a seven seven zero pop. It was an A thirty six. I think it was a seven. Is a seventy six. 1976 uh, uh, model year, and of course we bought it used. We bought it in uh, 87, 1987, and uh, uh, we uh, threw the pants off of it, so to speak. It, it, it was flying several times a week. Uh, if I wasn't flying it, um, then one of the corporate pilots was flying it on as a second airplane. So a lot of times we would have doctors going out to, to you know, clinics uh, two or three at a time. So uh, if they weren't driving and they could fly that they would take one of the airplanes. Um, the, uh, the pilots, uh, um, Jackie Luke was one of the uh, pilots uh, and she's a great person. Actually, she's one of the people that wrote uh, a letter of recommendation for the Wright Brothers Award that I that I received recently, and and uh, she's just a great individual. But um, they would let me um, the um, one of her her actually her what became her the, the person that became her husband uh, Neil Souter, and actually it's Jackie Souter, I guess I should say. Um, um, was a CFII and uh, he let me fly the Baron and which was kind of sweet and kind of gave me some uh, instruction in the, in the twin um, on a few of the clinics that, that we would go to. So uh, that, that was kind of, but anyway, the Simpson Zero Papa was uh, an A36 and uh, I flew it. Uh, at that time I had a, a, a place in Angel Fire in Mexico and uh, kind of learned by, by just experience uh, a little bit about mountain flying and how to set a, a non-turbo uh, charged in, normally aspirated engine at high altitudes and, and um, uh, flying an engine fire, which really doesn't have some of the best records of uh, right. air, aircraft safety and uh, making the hops from there over to Taos um, which is kind of a crazy thing to do, but because you know, we had an automobile, but it would sometimes would make that hop over to Taos or down to Santa Fe. And um, uh, uh, I, I found a good, uh, learned a good lesson there by listening to the locals because at Angel Fire, you always take off to the north uh, simply because of um, uh, that's where the valley opens up and the valley closes down going to the south. So unless there's a horrible tailwind, uh, you want to take off to the north and you have to spiral up and take in enough altitude of uh, 12 or 13,000 feet to shoot over the, the peak. And the uh, eastern slope there on the mountains, I don't know if you've been in Angel Fire at all. Never have. It's uh, actually, it's kind of flat on the top. I mean, it's not mountainous. It is a mountain range, but that's where the ski slopes are. And uh, it's relatively flat on top, so you can fly across and look for it. And there, there's a good place to put it down. You have to put it down, and uh, then as soon as you clear that, it's at Cimarron. It's all flat all the way back home. Kansas. Uh -huh. It's just a you know very dramatic you know the eastern slope of the Rockies. Yeah. So. Well, the, 
the airplane that you own now, the F-33, that is the first airplane that you've owned entirely without a partner, right? That's exactly right. How, yeah. How's that working out? How do you like that? Well, you know, I don't have too many arguments with my partner. On that one. <laughs> and I tell you, what's nice about it is when you put it away, uh, it's the same way when you go back to, yeah. to, to the hangar. And like I said, I had a great partner with Rick, but, um, uh, you know, when somebody else operates the airplane, you never absolutely know. Uh, so you, you just have to start, you know, I, I'm pretty anal. I, I just have to start from, from scratch on, um, you know, checking everything. Right. Um, not that I don't do that anyway and do it now, but at least I, you know, I have assurance that, um, you know, somebody hasn't deemed this or deemed that or. Can't get bad at anybody but yourself either. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Every now and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll float that balloon with my wife about a partner and, and uh, just to kind of test how serious she is about having the airplane. She loves it. And I, I threw that out again the other day and she's like, no, <laughs> she goes, I don't want to have a partner. I don't want to get in there and clean up their mess. Yeah. You know, and anything else. We've been down that road before. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, with Rick and I, we kind of had a rule that you know, nothing, nothing uh, more than water in your yeah. you know, no food, no soft drinks. Uh, um, you know, let's, 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 let's keep it. Let's keep it clean, and, and we did. So that's why I said he was he was a great partner. I mean, I just can't say enough about Rick. So yeah, um, and, and a great person as well. Uh, but it's but it is nice to have that complete ownership, and um, um, uh, you know, trying to work out uh, holidays and and you know, there's always times that I'd take the airplane and say, "Oh, gee, did I let uh, Dave or Dave was my uh, non-position owner in, in the first Bonanza uh, or with Rick we pretty much say are you flying it at your weekend no I'm not so well can I take it your first right of refusal sure go ahead and take it we're not we're not planning on doing anything so that give and take is is important in having that it's like a marriage obviously but Right. But it is nice to have it yourself. I mean, it's like, I guess, not sharing your spouse with somebody. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, let's see here. The um, uh, There's going to be people that are listening to this that either financially or just because they, they, they want to have a partner, they're going to be in a partnership situation. So uh Throw out some of your words of advice. I mean, you get, you've been in this a couple different times. You've seen both sides of it. What what worked for you guys and what didn't work is in terms of, uh, you know, owning an airplane with somebody else? Well, I, I guess um, as far as the maintenance and uh, the upkeep, when I was in the practice with the uh, ownership, shared ownership of the airplane, the corporate pilots took care of all that. I mean, I really wasn't involved with uh, getting the annual scheduled and and some of the squawks. I mean, I would know about them, but um, I wasn't involved with the maintenance of it. So I missed out on that. I was too busy. I didn't have time to do that. I mean, we were running and gunning most of the time anyway. Um, but uh, so that was an unfortunate thing on the uh, Columbia Rick pretty much handled the uh, updates for the Garmin system and 
uh, I just let him do that again. I was still busy in practicing. And uh, uh, we scheduled the annuals together on the convenient time. And, and uh, uh, we had those done from various places, trying to find the best place and for the best price. But um, uh, with the, uh, uh, the F33A, the Bonanza, you know, it's all my deal. And so, in fact, next month is going to be, uh, it's before it's annual next month. And I plan to be there now that I'm retired and can do that. I'm going to be there a lot of the time when we got the airplane torn down and, and, and look at things. In fact, we just did, that, that's another thing that the ABS does for Bonanza owners, just did a service clinic here in Wichita. And, uh, you know, that was a minimal cost and it's an hour and a half long and the, uh, the Bonanza uh, uh, mechanic there, Bonanza approved that run these clinics. Uh, I mean, you get down on your hands and knees and you crawl into the airplane and you're looking in this, you know, looking at the landing gear, they've got jacked up, they're looking for the clearance flap doors, mm -hmm. uh, they borescope the engine, I got the, I got to look uh, to the borescope and see what we're looking for. I learned really more, you know, in 51 years of aviation, I always thought compression checks were very important and really told you about how your piston is, is uh, working and, and really what the uh, continental mechanic was. Uh, there's a continental mechanic and there's an ABS mechanic uh, 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 that goes through all this with you. So we got a two-step thing. And um, uh, really the compression check is a leak test. It's seeing how, what kind of leakage and you know, uh, 60 or 80 is perfectly good. And I always thought it had to be up in the seventies or- Right. You know, it, it, the knowledge of that was really good. But, but anyway, being personally involved with, with the airplane and the, uh, the mechanics of it is, is really valuable. I did upgrade. Um, uh, I think you probably knew this, but I did take out all of the vacuum system out. And um, that was three years ago now and put in a Garmin uh, 500 TXI and a GTM 750 and, a, and then the uh, uh, transponder uh, uh, three, three, something it's 375 uh, Garmin. And uh, so now I do the updates and all that, which aren't that hard, but uh, with the Columbia, I let Rick do all that. So uh, it, it really gets you into the game and uh, uh, continuously learning about uh, how these airplanes work and um, all the confusion uh, or misinformation there is uh, about how to operate your engine. And everybody has, you know, the yeah. guys from Cottonelle have uh, their set. Uh, opinions and uh, other bonanza operators uh, say well it's really not that important for example lima peak you should be 65 percent power um according to the continental uh, guys and the reality is uh yeah, that's about 23 inches i think manifold pressure and uh, if you're above 6,000 feet, you're at 23 or 22.6 anyway. So you're all, already operating at 65% power. 
Um, if you're Lena Peak, that's that's a sweet spot for it. So things like that that just keep cropping up. And and uh, another thing about uh, the American Banana Society, once a month they, they do a, a a webinar and they'll have a speaker talk or Tom Turner does that, which he's very capable of doing. And um, just educational things. So anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's really a good point there that uh, we just did a Todd and I did a, a podcast here not too long ago on um, determining or developing a mentor as you especially for as an aircraft owner, because there is so much misinformation out there. Um, it's one of my big bones of contention with the Internet. People are, you know, they'll get on these Facebook pages and they'll listen to 15 different people, all of whom are spouting a different philosophy or a different technique. Some of them are on there just to be seen, and there's the others that just can't avoid the snarky comments. Yes. Uh, and and you don't get you don't get you know down into really what is important when it comes to the operation of your airplane. And ABS and other organizations like that, they filter out a lot of that crap, for lack of a better word. And uh, and really, you know, they they are kind of your your mentor in in so many instances. Uh, and so I'm always trying to caution people like that because they'll. I don't know if it's a sign of the times people can't make up their own minds or can't make a decision, but they'll throw out there, well, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And, and I'm always like, why do you care what somebody you don't even know who you don't even know what their background or experience is? Why do you care what they think about X, Y, Z? Um, find somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and who has some, some experience. So that's a really good point. Um, you touched on something a minute ago. I, I want to make sure we cover this. So the Wright Brothers Mastery Award. Tell us about that. Well, um, I really wasn't that familiar with it until a couple years ago, I guess. I just had seen somebody that had received that. And, and um, <clears throat> so, well, one of the requirements is you must have a, uh, I think actually you have to have your, well, you have to have your license, but I think it's a time of your solo, uh, 50 years. And I started doing the math. So, well, you know, I'm, getting right there at 50 years. I, I did my solo and, and um, um, July of 1969, just about the time we landed on the moon actually. And um, um, uh, so I got to thinking about that, but kind of dismissed. I said, oh gee, that, that's for um, people that have really done something big in aviation. I mean, like, you know, there have been flight instructors all their life, or they're like Chris Kirk, who yeah, right. flies for the, for like Delta, isn't that right? Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, people that have had a profession out of aviation. Uh, but uh, the more I research that, that's really not the case. You just need to have a um, pilot certificate 50 years of flying and no major goof ups. And um, uh, uh, knock on wood, I haven't had any major goof ups. And, um, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's debatable. I mean, you can have certain uh, uh, events uh, uh, of types of accidents or whatever and still qualify for that. You just can't, you just can't be really uh, to egregious on your uh, conflict with the FAA. 
But uh, I got to checking on that. And uh, in fact, I was telling my wife, Christy, about that. She said, oh, that's, you, are you really wanting to do that? I said, well, actually, I think I kind of am because, uh, uh, you know, flying was something I was interested in doing ever since I could remember. And um, um, so I got to checking. I, I asked a couple of the guys at the airport, I had my plane at Stearman Field um, here on the east side of Wichita. It's actually in Benton, Kansas, about 15 minutes from the house. Great airport. Yep. And uh, they have, um, you know, a restaurant there and, and it's a good flying place uh, to have that hundred dollar whatever. And um, so I got to asking, he said, yeah, I've got, you know, the older guys flying, you know, he flies, flew an AT6 there and would buzz around and, and um, so, yeah, I did that and said, no, it's for this. And it's, you know, anybody can do that. So I started applying and went through this whole process during COVID. And uh, um, it's quite an interesting process, but you need three letters of recommendation and um, you need to write a little narrative about your flying experience and how you used uh, aviation in career or personal life or whatever. And I think they just do a, a background check and if everything uh, seems appropriate. So I finally received that. It took about probably a good four months, maybe five months. And again, that was during COVID and uh, spoke with the fellow at our FISDO office here, which is the only one in Kansas here in Eisenhower Airport. And he actually told me he hasn't even been to the office uh, in almost those 12 months. Right. Um, so he said the paper, I, I kept texting, well, when am I going to receive this? Uh, you said it'd be three, you know, 90 days. And here we are four months or five months. And I said, I'm just kind of curious. And he sent me this link to get a plaque made. I still haven't received the official letter from the FAA. And it's been uh, three months ago. And since it was issued and he said, well, it's probably on a stack of paper about three feet high in the office. But he said, it's just a sheet of paper. He said, you've got the award. So I do have the award and I have it here behind me. And um, uh, it, it, it does mean a lot to me. I'm you know, looking at my wall over here. I've got my diplomas and all the, of the uh, sometimes the nonsense that we acquire in, in our profession. But um, that award probably means as much to me as, as about anything else that I have anywhere else. Uh, simply because it's something that um, uh, I, I love to do. And so being able to combine that passion with, with my vocation, which is another passion, is a pretty sweet deal. I, um, I grew up, uh, uh, like I said, in a small town of Seneca, Missouri, south of Joplin, literally on the state line of Oklahoma. And... Um, uh, my dad was a family physician, but he had a lot of interesting hobbies. And one of the hobbies that I can remember uh, to my earliest memory was uh, building model airplanes. And, and uh, back then there were the U-line controls. So we had the two lines. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, 
uh, connected to the to the airplane, the model, and um, building model airplanes. The smell of that dope in in the, in the upstairs, you know, work area, and and so I take scrap balsa wood and I make my own models and and um, uh, you know I learned about dihedral. I learned about the um, dihedral wing. I learned about um, you know, how you build an airplane, what makes it fly, how the elevators work, uh, how the rudder works. And, you know, back then for those type of airplanes, you always put a little bit of right rudder in the airplane to keep it pulling out away from you as you turn this you know, in a circle. And um, so my dad never became a pilot, but he had several hours flying model airplanes. <laughs> and later in life, he got into the radio control. Yeah. Um, then my brother, uh, uh, who passed away a few years ago now, was 10 years older than I am, and he was career Air Force. And uh, he flew uh, ultimately C-141s, and he was in the MAC uh, mm -hmm. part of, of the Air Force, and um, then flew C-5s, C-5A galaxies. And um, I flew an OV-10 in, in 1970, and in Vietnam, which is a forward air control. So he was a fat pilot and uh, had some interesting stories uh, of, of aviation. So my brother went in the Air Force in 1960. And back then he went in uh, um, two years of college and then got his uh, officer candidate school. And then in 1967, which is the year I graduated from high school, he was able to became a navigator first. And um, uh, then in 67, he uh, applied and got into pilot training. So he went to pilot training at Vance Air Force Base in Union, Oklahoma. And um, um, so anyway, those were circumstances that, that just added to my passion already. And so I, uh, two years later in 1969, I already sold it. So oh, wow. I got my license in between. Uh, I think freshman and, and uh, sophomore year of college. So uh, that, that was a passion for me. And, and uh, uh, just one other thing about my brother, who was kind of my idol at that time, obviously. And um, he, uh, in 1978, with the C-5A, uh, they had a special mission of flying into uh, Zaire. And that was during, uh, when they were having a civil war. And so they were flying in to get refugees out. And they had a nonstop mission uh, and set some records in, in doing this, 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 this mission. And actually uh, his crew, he and his crew uh, won the McKay uh, Trophy Award. Okay. I'm not sure a lot of people would know about that, but it was presented to him, at, I believe, I think we were actually were at the Smithsonian. I was there for the award, and uh, it was a big deal. I mean, uh, that award goes back to the 20s, and there's a couple people that, you know, everybody would recognize. One of them, Rickenbacker, had won that award, and so had Jimmy Doodle. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a very prestigious award. And uh, so I, I'm, I was very proud of him for doing that. So That's those great. are all reasons why I, I 
wanted to get into aviation. Uh, right. I, uh, I uh, was asked, I took, the, I took the Air Force exams when I was in college and didn't think much about it and got into medical school and was already uh, in my first year and I got this call in 19, it would have been 71 saying, would you like to fly in the Air Force? Well, I, I said, well, uh, thank you, but I'm already in medical school and, and you know, at this point I'm already wearing glasses and I knew I wouldn't become a be able right. to be a, a pilot and so i i declined uh doing that at that time but i, I knew that, you know my career path was best being a physician and then flying for yeah. for personal use or business use i guess so. oh that's great yeah this is this is very interesting so let me let me ask you this um what um you know what's next for you either Professionally, flying-wise, as an airplane owner, what's what's on the horizon? Well, that's that's a very interesting question. You know, as we age, we uh, are now going through uh, the the process of special issuance of uh, medical. So, you know, people listening, uh, um, uh, you really have to pay attention to that. You know, being a physician uh, and being in good health, I never really felt like. That would be much of a problem for me. I had patients that were pilots, and especially if they had heart disease, and they had to get to routine checks. And oftentimes, we'd end up doing that for for the AME to, to get that done. But as we all age, you know, I developed uh, uh, an intermittent uh, irregular heartbeat uh, of atrial fibrillation. It's not chronic; I don't have it all the time. I just have it periodically. But uh, to much to my surprise, even as being a cardiologist, the FAA thinks that's a really big deal. And uh, it really isn't that big of a deal, but it could be. But I guess because I know what I know and I uh, know how, how to treat that or how to observe it, uh, it's, it's kind of like a bread and butter thing for a cardiologist to see. So many people have atrial fibrillation, um, whether it's chronic or whether it's intermittent. And, um, but the FAA really uh, uh, puts the brakes on everything for you if that's uh, recorded. So it takes a while, it takes a good almost three months to get that. So as an aircraft owner, uh, when this occurred last year, I was, I was down for three months, um, not flying the airplane. And, um, and you have to go through this every year. And so it's a timing thing as well. So if you wait till your medical is due, and I've had the third class medical, I haven't gone to the basic med yet, but if you um, uh, have a third class, you have to have that every two years, of course, mm-hmm. but with the special insurance, you have to have that uh, uh, monitored yearly. And the problem is if you wait till your your third class is due, then you get into this uh, hole of uh, waiting for about uh, up to maybe two months of submitting all the information and getting it back before they'll reissue your uh, your medical. So I'm not an AME. Uh, I don't research, and but I'm learning a lot more about that. So you have to stay ahead of the game for 
all you folks out there that are, are getting a little older because you're bound to have something happen now. Um, whether it's hypertension, whether it's um, irregular heartbeat or, or anything that puts a, uh, a need for you getting a, a waiver of special issuance. So right. I think the best thing to do is develop a really good relationship with your, uh, your AME and uh, uh, talk to them about what you need to talk to them about and also uh, seek some counseling on the timing. I mean, there's, there's a fine line between being compliant and doing what the FAA wants and maybe what's prudent to do at the time. Right. Uh, and I think you're probably well aware of that, being a, a professional commercial pilot, that um, uh, uh, you want to disclose everything, but you may not want to disclose it uh, at the inappropriate times. Yes. in order to make things work. Yeah, that's that's really good sage advice. Um, it kind of goes along that mentor theme we were talking about earlier. And, you know, I've been down that road myself back when I was 29. I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I had to, had to go through a lot of that stuff. And so I really found out then, you know, it's been, um, how long has that been? 24, 25 years ago, um, how how important it is you got somebody that's really there acting on your behalf. Cause I, I hear the horror stories from so many people otherwise, and you know, they're talking to 50 different people and, and nothing's going to happen. You've got to have somebody that actually knows what they're doing that can help you down that road. So, right. And that's so. not being illegal. I mean, uh, uh, but you know, if you mention it uh, to uh, the FAA, then they have to, you know, it's just an algorithm. They, they automatically you get, uh, told you need to have this and this and that done when it may not really be appropriate on the medical side of things to, to do that. So you're dealing with the bureaucracy versus the, the actual medical need. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the dance that you have to do. Yeah. Well, Roger, thank you. This has been, this has been very enlightening and I think we could probably go on for another hour or so just visiting and, and uh, hearing more of your story. Um, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share all that. And uh, for those of you listening, this will be posted. The video portion will be posted on our YouTube channel. And so you just Google uh, Wild Blue Aircraft Sales and look at the uh, you can find the YouTube channel from there and it'll be posted on there uh, as well. So, again, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time with us. Well, yeah. Um, and, and thanks. Thank you, Chris. Uh, like like I've told you before, <clears throat> I really appreciated your help in uh, vetting this airplane and, and for others that, you know, I thought of in, in the, before this airplane became available. And um, um, I've seen a few of your, uh, your interviews and all the stuff that you do on Instagram and, and I guess YouTube and wherever else. And um, I think it's pretty remarkable. So, well, thank you. I, I wish I could take credit for it, but you know, we got, we got some folks here behind the scenes that take care of all that stuff. So <laughs> that they're a lot more savvy at it than I am. I'm just, uh, you know, as I tell Tabby, my, my assistant, I'm like, yeah, I'm just the pretty face here. And then she laughs and, and you know, uh, make, make some uh, <laughs> derogatory remark about that. But no, well, again, well, hopefully I'll see you at Oshkosh. 
Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.